This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome back to the Money Seed Podcast. Today, I'm happy to host my first ever returning guest, Tracy Conan. Tracy, welcome back to the show. Yes, I have bragging rights now that I get to be your first repeat guest. Like I was good enough to merit a second invitation. I love it. And Tracy, it's really cool. I can see on your Zoom profile there, it says Tracy Conan, forensic accountant. So yes, Tracy is a forensic accountant. She's a fraud investigator, a divorce expert, and she helps her clients find money in divorce settlements. Tracy, maybe give us a quick intro into exactly what you do and how you do it. Well, you are absolutely right that finding money is exactly what I do. I do fraud investigations. Some of that is corporate stuff where executives are stealing money or companies are fighting over contracts gone bad and who caused who to lose money. And I figure it out and testify in court as an expert witness. And some of it is in the divorce space. And divorce is what I talk about a lot on podcasts because I have a mission in that space of helping people better understand their finances, figure out if their spouse has been hiding money or engaging in secret spending, and really just sorting that all out because I want people to get better, fairer settlements in their divorces. And they can't do that if they don't have the information. And Tracy, I believe that for several years now, you have had the program called the Marriage Money Guide, right? Which I think is available on your website called fraudcoach.com. And the Divorce Money Guide, I believe it's a series of checklists and modules and videos and all kinds of learning guides on how to find, how to prepare for divorce and how to find money that's been hidden in a divorce. How likely, how common is it that people try to hide their finances during a divorce? It's pretty common because if you think about it, first of all, Money is one of the biggest stressors in a marriage. It is one of the leading causes of divorce. Kind of if you're thinking about the straw that broke the camel's back, money is oftentimes that. You know, there might be a lot of other issues in the marriage, but certainly money is a big contributor. What we see is that there comes a point in the marriage where I think one or both of the spouses has a pretty good idea that they are headed on a path towards divorce. And they do something that I like to call divorce financial planning, where they are really preparing for this divorce, potentially, you know, trying to siphon off some money and hide it, maybe trying to manipulate their income, make their income look lower if they're going to be in a position of having to pay support, Um, maybe spending a lot more money than they used to, to try to, you know, get rid of some money so they don't have to split it. All, All sorts of shenanigans like that are things that we see leading up to divorce. And whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, we see this happening across the board. And Tracy, you've been helping people navigate this process for quite a while. Maybe walk us through what are some of the most important steps someone should take as they as they think they're approaching divorce. The absolute most important first step is gathering information. So you don't have to be necessarily thinking you're getting divorced or even in the process of divorce to just really stop and think about all the accounts that you and your spouse have, banks, credit cards, investment accounts. 
And I want you to start gathering information because here's what happens. When, if you do end up getting into the process of divorce, I see someone being locked out of the bank account, or I see their name being taken off the bank account without their permission or knowledge. And whether that's supposed to happen or not legally, I mean, legally, you're not supposed to be able to take, be taken off a bank account without you signing off, but it happens. And so what I advocate is for people to gather information, get bank statements, save them, put them in a safe place. Even if, you know, even if you're not yet in the process of divorce, because that way, if you do lose access to that account, you at least have some documentation for what has been going on with that account. Gracie, at a high level, right? When two people get divorced, I have this feeling like most of the time, one or maybe even both of the individuals will feel that somehow the process wasn't fair or somehow they got cheated out of something. What do you think at a high level, what does a fair settlement look like? A fair settlement takes into account the fact that both spouses have contributed to the marriage. Now, still in many families, there is a stay-at-home parent. That parent is often in the position of giving up a career or a job they really like to stay home with the kids. It's a family decision and it's fantastic for the kids, right? Mom or dad is home taking care of them instead of having them at daycare. However, the downside is that spouse is in a position of not having income of their own. When we get to divorce, many times the spouse who has been the one earning the money looks at what the family has as theirs. I've been making the money. That retirement account is mine. It's in my name. I've been making the house payments. It's my house. You know, when we're married, it's supposed to be ours. We have made decisions together that have created this financial situation. And so fair means giving each spouse, dividing those assets between both of the spouses and not saying to one, well, you earned that by going out and going to work. So it's yours. And that's what the laws really try to protect people with. And Tracy, what are some of the contributing factors when people go through divorce and they don't get a fair settlement, right? Like, for example, somebody gets much more than half or there's something that really looks like it's it's way more or way right. less than what they should have. What are some of the contributing factors? So there's really three of them. One is not having enough information. So like I said, we really want to gather those financial documents and really understand what we're looking at before we think about settling. Two is someone not giving up, uh, not putting up a good fight for their assets. Uh, there are some spouses who do just give up and say, you know what, um, it's more important to me to have extra time with the kids. I'll walk away from the house or I'll walk away from the retirement account if you will just agree that I can have more time with the kids. And the third reason people might not get fair settlements is because they might not have someone on their side really advocating for that fair settlement. So they might have a divorce attorney who says, this is the best you're ever going to do. Oh, it's not worth it to fight for that. Oh, this settlement is good enough. You should just take it. You're really, you're getting a lot of money. You know, it's interesting. The cases that I work on uh, when I'm doing, you know, uh, when I'm doing the forensic accounting are typically people who are very high earners. And they might have accumulated a good bit of assets as well. And sometimes I see these attorneys saying to the non-working spouse, well, you know, you're getting a large payout here of assets. You should be happy with that and you just take it and walk away. It may be a big number, 
But if that number is much smaller than what they're really entitled to, then we should really fight for what they're entitled to. And certainly there comes a point in every divorce when you stop fighting. I always say you put up a good fight, you make a strong negotiation, you get the information, you go after what you're entitled to. But then at some point towards the end, it feels like, okay, it's going to cost me more time and energy and money in divorce attorneys than what I might get if I keep fighting. So then maybe at that point, it's time to settle. And Tracy, you mentioned divorce attorneys. How much does a typical divorce cost? Oh, gosh. In the U.S., I mean, we're looking at easily $20,000 in attorney's fees for a typical divorce. Yeah, there are a lot of different statistics. But I mean, if, if we look at each person and they each hire an attorney, if you get away with less than $10,000 each in fees, you're doing really well for yourself. And that's why um, there are you know, different services. One is called Hello Divorce, based in California. And it's sort of a do-it-yourself divorce platform where they provide tools, resources, consulting attorneys who are available to help you and your spouse get through the divorce process without having to hire each an expensive attorney and go through all of that. And so there are a lot of different options that people should look into to help reduce the cost. And Tracy, how long does a typical divorce take from the time that two adults say, okay, you know what? It's not working. Let's file for divorce. And the time where every document, every agreement, everything is signed. How, how long does that process take? Gosh, that is a really great question. And I don't have any hard statistics on that, but I would like to say, just given my experience in the divorce space, that at least six months to a year is probably pretty typical for the process. I mean, unless you and your spouse are really in agreement on a lot of things where you can, you know, amicably get through it uh, pretty quickly, it does take a bit of time if you have to go through the court system. So Tracy, tell us about your new book. It's called Find Me the Money. I love the title. I think the title speaks for itself, but, um, and there you go. You got a copy of it right there. Tell us what is in the book. When is it coming out? Where can people buy it? It's called Find Me the Money. Take control, uncover the truth, and win the money you deserve in your divorce. You can find it on Amazon, um, you know, online at Barnes and Noble. So all all the traditional booksellers online, you can find it. Uh, ebook format, hardcover, soft cover. The book is the story of Jackie, who left her career ten years ago to become a stay at home mom. Three kids with her husband. Her husband is having an affair. They're going to get divorced. And she, of course, uncovers the financial infidelity. And she goes through the process of unraveling his lies about the money and figuring out what he spent the money on. And so it's a a story that's based in all of the divorces that I've worked on throughout the years. So it's not one particular case that I've worked on, but it pulls pieces from different cases that I've worked on and sort of makes it into a story about one character. You mentioned the phrase financial infidelity. I'm not sure I heard that one before, but what what does that mean exactly? Lies about the money between the spouses. That could include secret spending, spending outside of agreements that you have with your spouse, um, hiding money, having secret accounts, things like that. It's really, it's pretty straightforward. Any sort of lies about the money, you know, stuff that you know your spouse would care about and be upset about, that could fall under financial infidelity. 
And Tracy, I believe your book is coming out on Amazon shortly. When, what is the release date? The release date is May 4th, but it is available for pre-order now. And for anyone who's listening after May 4th, of course, it'll already be out for them. It's been, you know, writing a book is not an easy process. Um, it's a bit of work, but the book is really um, kind of tells the story of walking through the divorce money guide. You know, I talk about this divorce money guide and how I give people this process for evaluating their finances and looking for hidden money on their own without hiring an expensive forensic accountant. But I know that a lot of people say, gosh, how how could I do the kind of investigation that you do? Well, guess what? For most average couples and families, you don't need a forensic accountant and it's not that complicated. And so the story in this book of Jackie really shows how Jackie was able to leverage this process, get through her own finances and find the really key things that her husband was spending money on his affair partner, buying her expensive handbags, going to certain hotels, things like that. She was able to find out that there were a couple of secret bank accounts that he had, that he was siphoning off some of his paychecks. And so um, it really is a process that just about anyone can do. Tracy, I will put the links in the show notes so people can find out more on about, about the book. It seems like it's really interesting and it seems like it's written as a story. It's not really, it doesn't sound like it's a dry sort of uh, technical book. It's more written like, like a story, like an actual story about a human being. It absolutely is. And that was important to me. I did not want it to be a dry technical book. Um, and I, you know, I worked with my publisher to come up with the concept of something that was very readable. Um, and so it's a super easy read. And I think the story of Jackie and her, you know, soon to be ex-husband is pretty interesting. Uh, Tracy, quick question about divorces in general. During the pandemic, uh, people had all kinds of like theories and all kinds of guesses about whether or not divorce rates are going to go up or going to go down because people are locked into the same house together for months on end. Um, people had similar projections about whether or not we're going to have a baby boom again or not because of the pandemic. In your industry, what are you seeing? I mean, are divorce rates up or down since the pandemic, say over the last two or three years? I think divorce rates have stayed pretty level. What we saw was being locked in the house together pushed some people towards divorce, right? It just really put them in that pressure cooker and pushed them over the edge. Whereas other people who were having marital problems got stuck in the house together and figured out a way to work it out. And whereas they might have otherwise gotten divorced, they ended up sticking it out. And so I tend to think that those kind of balance things out for us. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. And in your professional experience, Tracy, what are the main reasons why people get divorced? Um, money, disagreements about the kids, money and um, kids and affairs, money. Yeah. Money, kids and affairs. And right now, I think I just looked up some brief divorce statistics before uh, this recording. It sounds like it's around 40% of marriages right now. First time marriages will end in divorce. Um, do you see that number kind of going down over time, going up over time? I think it has been slightly going down over time, um, but you know it, it fluctuates here and there. The statistic that I think is is interesting is that there are about seven hundred thousand divorces filed every year in the United States. 
And, and I've had some people say, gosh, that sounds a lot smaller than I thought it would have been. I think it sounds like a really big number. That's a huge number. Yeah. And probably very similar. You know, I, I can't do the math on the fly, but I read something similar where it was like a hundred divorces per hour or something like that across the wow. United States. Yeah. So that is, that is huge. And I, I read something crazy that apparently the divorce rate goes up every time someone gets remarried. So if someone is marrying for the third time, there's like a 72% chance that marriage is going to end in divorce. I was accused today of being a horrible person because I encourage and facilitate divorce. And I had to explain, I don't encourage or facilitate it. But what I do is if someone has made the personal decision that divorce is the best thing for them, I help them sort through their finances and get that fair settlement. And I don't think that I need to be ashamed of that. No, I mean, you're you're helping people get money that is rightfully theirs, that somebody's trying to defraud them of. I mean, I think that's actually that's exactly it. a service here. You're, you're doing uh, people a service by doing that. And thank you for, for helping people recover money that's rightfully theirs. Um, Tracy, um, overall, I mean, I always like to steer conversations toward what advice should we give people who are in their 20s and are thinking about getting married? Maybe what are the top three pieces of wisdom that you can share for someone in their 20s who is thinking about tying the knot? That's a great question. The three top pieces of advice I have, number one, absolute number one, have a prenuptial agreement. Prenups are amazing. They have a stigma attached to them. It is not deserved at all because all a prenup is is a contract that says, if we ever split, here is how we are going to sort out the money and the other issues. And it's really great because then instead of being subject to whatever the laws say in the state you're in, instead you're subject to this contract. It says, we'll divide the assets this way. Someone will pay someone spousal support, or maybe no one will pay spousal support. So prenups are key. Number two, it's about communication, especially upfront, before you move in, before you get married. Have agreements about how the money is going to work, who's going to pay for what, what is an allowable expense in your family, what kinds of things do you talk about before you spend money on them, and also agree that whatever agreements we make today aren't permanent. We can always revisit, renegotiate, because life changes things change, an idea that we have today about a great way to handle our money, maybe a year from now, we'll decide, gosh, that wasn't such a great idea anymore. So we can always revisit that. So prenups, communication, and budgeting. Again, it's all about these agreements about money. If you agree on the front end how to handle money, it reduces the arguments later. So if you agree that you each have X dollars per month to spend on your hobbies or like me getting my nails done, things like that, uh, if we've agreed to it, then there shouldn't be an argument about it. And so budgeting is a really important part of that process. Oh, yeah. and I've got a fourth one. I've got a fourth one. Regular check-ins about the money. So I'm an advocate for a conversation once a week, five to 10 minutes, where we're checking in. How are we doing on our savings goals? Were there any unexpected bills? Did any issues come up? Does anyone have any spending that they want to start to plan for? Things like that. Absolutely. And that goes right back to your earlier comment about how money is one of the biggest causes of divorce. And thank you for bringing that up about the budgeting and the planning. I'm a firm believer that before people get married, they should go see a financial planner and 
have yes. a shared vision of, okay, what kind of a house do we want to live in? What kind of a lifestyle we want? When do we want to get married? What kind of a retirement, you know, planning financial picture we want? Because if one person in a relationship is a saver and the other one is out there recklessly you know, driving up credit card debt, it's not going right. to work. That, that is going to lead to all kinds of stress. And it's not well, even, work. you know, you probably go into your marriage, both thinking we want to buy a house together someday. But have you talked about what that means? What, how much do you want to spend on that house? Where do you want that house to be? What features do you want it to have? Going back to the cost of the house, I think that a lot of times there are different expectations about what is a reasonable amount to spend on a house. And working with a financial planner can help you get on that same page with that. Absolutely. And I think another thing about human psychology is, is if we imagine ourselves living at a certain lifestyle, and that's not a lifestyle we can afford. It's very mm-hmm. easy to blame someone else, right? Yes. Oh, oh, my spouse is reckless with the money. Oh, you know, my my boss is not giving me the raise that I deserve or whatever. And it's it's a human trait to blame other people. And as soon as you start blaming someone else in a relationship, that's that's not going to end well. Right. So um, yeah, you got to have the financial picture squared away before you get married. Absolutely. So Tracy, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. The book is Find Me the Money, and we'll put the links in the show notes. Tracy, um, any final words? Well, I will just say that everything comes back to knowledge is power. And that's why I talk so much about getting your hands on bank statements and other financial information, taking a look at it, staying on top of what's been going on. Even if you don't want to be the person who's in charge of paying the bills, in charge of creating a budget or monitoring things, at least keep yourself informed about what's going on with your family's money. Absolutely. Well said, Tracy. Thanks again for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe. It really helps me out. Thanks very much.